Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John's Gospel. We're continuing in John's Gospel, <coughs> working our way through John chapter 14. If you're visiting with us, need a Bible, or left your cell phone at home, shame on you. Uh, you can pull that black Bible in a chair in front of you, pull that out, and <coughs> find page uh, 84, bottom of page 84, in that black Bible, and into uh, page 85 as well. <coughs> John chapter 14. Verses 1 through 14, John 14 today, John 14. We're trucking our way through John's gospel. I planned it out, so we'll actually hit uh, uh, John 20, the resurrection of Jesus, on res day, on resurrection Sunday. I planned that out, so it's kind of cool. Worked out that way. We're gonna do uh, one <coughs> chapter, chapter 18 in one sermon and chapter 19 in one sermon. There's gonna be really long, there's gonna be like two hour long sermon. I'm just kidding. Only be an hour. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But, yeah, amen. Hey, I like you. You can stay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, yeah, so working out, we're planning this through, but here in, in, in these chapters 13 through 17, we're kind of slowing down because it's so, such vital, so vital for us, such vital information for us. Jesus stopping and talking to his 11 disciples. So notice what he says here, John 14, starting in verse one. Let not your heart fear. Believing into God, into me believe also. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'd go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you also may be, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How how do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you will know my Father also, From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and you've not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, of myself I do not speak, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. But if not, because of the works themselves believe. Truly, truly, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes into me the works that I do shall he also do. And greater than these shall he do because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do. I'll give you an idea of my imagination as a kid. My wife begins to start laughing. Now, what does that tell you? Okay, so. <clears throat> I'd have a dream. Okay, let's stop right here. Okay. From my house when I was a kid, Glen Heather Drive. You can look down the street and you can see the street go this way. You actually see people coming from down the street. You can do that. Just how the, the houses were set up that way. This is in San Jose, California. 
So I'd have a dream that a person was driving down our street coming to get me. So I turn to run into the house, and what happens? You know, you guessed it, right? It's almost, I can't move, right? It's like you're stuck to the ground. And then the bad man would drive up to our house, and he'd like get out of the car, and I knew he was coming, I turned, and then he'd go, get, get me, and I'd wake up. That's in one of my horrible dreams. And then, so I'd be scared, daylight out of me, and I remember the heater in the house would kick on. I would hear the little click, 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 and then it, you know, the fan would, or the, the blow, um, uh, all the flames would come on, right? And that would give me comfort. Isn't that weird? I'd find comfort when the heater would go on. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's true. I'm, t- I'm telling you the truth. That's exactly what happened. When you're afraid, what comforts you? Who or what comforts you when you're troubled? When you're in fear? When you're really upset? What or who comforts you? How do you find comfort? Where do you find comfort? In these verses really the first 11 verses, Jesus spends a lot of his time giving comfort to his disciples. And actually, it's, it's really throughout all these chapters, comforting them. So it starts here. Whoa, exactly. Come know Jesus. And, and that's a phrase to anyone who does not know Christ, come know Jesus, but for us as Christians, we must continue in our knowledge of Jesus. We must continue to know him, to love him, to trust him. Come know Jesus, and today we'll see, split up into two different words, comfort and commission. Comfort and commission. Here in these first 14 verses of John 14, we'll see comfort and commission here I'll put in a short statement for you when fear and doubt sets in Jesus comforts us and commissions us how can you describe these 14 verses it's this when fear and doubt sets in Jesus comforts us and of all things he commissions us or rather reminds us of how he's commissioned us When fear and doubt sets in, Jesus comforts us and commissions us. He's exhorting and he's encouraging these 11 to stay faithful, to stay the course, trusting him, finding their comfort in him. Here's another way to put it, a longer phrase. When fear comes, Jesus calls us, should be us there, calls us to find comfort in trusting him in the promise of fellowship, in the cross, and in his sufficient identity 
and he commissions us to fulfill God's work. When fear comes, Jesus calls us. Calls us to find comfort in trusting him. Find comfort in the promise of fellowship. Find comfort in the cross. Find comfort in a sufficient identity. And then he commissions us to fulfill God's work. Keep going. Find your comfort. And now continue the task. Continue the work, he says. Don't, don't lose your focus. Find your comfort. And do God's work, he says. So here the triune God would give them the help they needed to continue their efforts to follow Jesus and to trust Jesus. The Father will, and then soon, next week, we'll see the, the beginnings of Jesus speaking and teaching about the Spirit. As we trust Jesus and His identity and mission, His person work, we will see that He is our true rest, taking our fear. He is our true home, being the focus of heaven. He is our true vocation, being commissioned by God to do God's work in the world. That's from Clink. He does such a great job with that. Jesus is our true rest, our true home, our true vocation. That's so good, what he says. So, finding comfort, comfort and commission. Now, we find comfort in Four ways, Jesus is going to say here. Four ways. First, find comfort in trusting Jesus. Trust Him. Trust Jesus. Find your comfort in trusting Jesus. Verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled, says the New American Standard, or be frightened. Well, why would He say that? Because what He just said about Peter. A sad, horrible act that Peter would, would perform. He's going to betray Jesus. So can you imagine what's going through the other disciples' minds? There's confusion, there's fear, there's sadness, there's, there's uncertainty. There, there's a feeling of, of being threatened. I mean, if, if Peter's faith is going to fail, what about us? I mean, Peter's like the rock dude. I mean, he's, he's like the rock star of the disciples. And he's going to betray Jesus. What about us? Imagine the fear, the doubt. They're troubled. And notice what Jesus says. Believe into God, into me believe also. And it's said like that on purpose in Greek because believe is here and believe is here. God is here, into me is here. Jesus is saying, I'm God. <laughs> I'm God. Receive the confidence needed by trusting me, by trusting God. Believe God, me believe. They're one and the same. He's gonna bring that out more in a few minutes. We'll see. I mean, think about it. If Jesus speaks God's words and does God's works, you must trust him just like you trust God, right? Makes sense. When fear sets in, Christian, find your comfort in trusting Jesus. Here's number two. Find your comfort in the promise of fellowship. Find your comfort in the promise of fellowship, verses two and three. And this is the main point here. Jesus is gonna say, my, 
departure is truly for your advantage, guys. I'm going away to prepare, which is him going to the cross and his resurrection and ascension. Prepare a place for you and then I'll come back and I'm going to get you to take you with me and you'll be with me forever. It's the promise of fellowship. Look at what he says, verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. House means the place where God dwells, his heavenly abode. And it's this abode, this dwelling place that is promised to all of Jesus' disciples. I think that King James says, excuse me, many mansions, it's a bad translation, it should be rooms. That's better, a dwelling place. In my Father's house there's many rooms. In other words, every person who trusts Jesus in his identity and mission will have a place to dwell with God. And the most vital, important aspect about heaven is that Jesus is there. God is there. And notice he says, which I, I think ESV translates this well. It puts it in a question. If it were not so, would I not have told you I go, that I go to prepare a place for you? If it were not so, would I tell you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Not because he already taught them. But it's a way to reinforce what he just said, substantiating his previous word. Prepare a place. Wait, wait a minute. I thought there were many rooms. What's this whole preparation thingy? Going denotes Jesus' mission. Him going to the cross. So when you read that going and we read that prepare, think of the cross along with his resurrection, along with his ascension. That's the preparation. The preparation is the cross. The going is the cross. Uh, clink, the cross is the provision of permanent dwelling with God given by God through Jesus. The purpose of Jesus going was fellowship and communion with God to give eternal life with God. So this place is not so much about place, but communion. It's intimate fellowship and companionship with the living God. That's why the song goes like this. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I'm going to see my Savior's face because heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. Remember that song? Why is heaven a wonderful place? Because I'm going to see my Savior's face. God's there. That's the promise of fellowship. And and look at what Jesus says in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, if I go and prepare, so that's the cross, right? If I go and prepare, I'm going to come again receive you, actually take you for myself. That's the verb there, take you for myself so that where I am, you also may be. You're gonna be with me, he says. Jesus leaving is needed to provide a similar leaving for his disciples and that he come again and take them to be with him. What guarantees this? His departure, his going, the cross. That's the guarantee. The guarantee that you're going to be with God forever is that Jesus went to the cross. See, the basis 
for the doctrine of eschatology. Eschatology means the study of last things. The basis of the eschatology is Jesus' command to trust him. He's gonna go to the cross and his encouragement to be filled with hope in him because he went to the cross to die for you. Eschatology is based in God's very presence and the promise to be with him for eternity. And that guarantees it is because Jesus went to the cross. He's gonna come. He's gonna take you. So you'll be with him. There's the promise of fellowship. It's not about going to heaven. It's about being with Jesus forever. As Jesus came into the world physically at one time, and he died on the cross, it guarantees he would most assuredly come again to fulfill his purpose for us to be with us. So, as one writer says, we quote, expectantly and purposefully wait to be with Jesus, don't we? Find comfort in trusting Jesus. Find comfort in the promise of fellowship. Number three, find comfort in the cross. Verse three and four. Because he said in verse three, if I go and prepare a place for you, remember that's him going to the cross. There's the guarantee. And then look at what he says here in verse four. And you know the way where I'm going. So now the going is the cross and now the way is the cross as well as the resurrection and his ascension. And the where is also the way. Where he's going is the cross. The way is the cross. The cross is the way of life, which really that's the goal for all of us as humans to finally be with the one who created us. And the way and the where is the cross and we find comfort in his sacrifice for us that he died for us. He took our shame. He took our sins upon himself. Find comfort in that. Find comfort in the where, find comfort in the way. The where and the way is the cross. I'll put it this way. And the only way to get to the where is to go through the where, which is also the way. Do you need to chew on that for a little bit? And the only way to get to the where is to go through the where, which is also the way. The where is the cross, and the way is the cross. So the only way to get to the where is to go through the cross, and the cross is also the way. Get that now? That's what Jesus is saying. And the fact that they knew him showed they knew the way. And then you know, you're gonna see what Thomas says here in just a few moments in verse five. Before I get there, I just want to remind you, we find comfort in trusting Jesus. We find comfort in the promise of fellowship. And third, we find comfort in the cross. That's the where, and that's the way. And number four, fourth way we find comfort when fear strikes, find comfort in his sufficient identity, and you'll see why sufficient is so important. Find comfort in his sufficient identity, verses five through 11. Look at Thomas. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? He's confused. He did not understand that Jesus' going was the cross. 
Still didn't get that. Which is also the way to God. Which is also the where. That's the way to have access to God is through the cross. To have communion with God is through the cross. To have fellowship with God was through the cross. That's the where. That's the way. He was thinking in physical terms, going to a location, Lord, I don't know. IDK, I don't know. And then look how Jesus responds. One of the most well-known statements from Jesus. He said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice, now the way is not simply the cross. Now the way is the person. The person of Christ. Friends, this is why we cannot separate, we can never separate Christ from the cross. We can never separate Jesus from his mission. Who he is from his mission, because that's why he came to die, to save the world. In his very person, he is the way. And also, he is very truth, and he is also very life. Notice, it's relational now. Jesus is the way because he's God's truth. He's God's life. This way, this truth, this life is embodied in a person. Clink does such a great job um, delineating these three aspects of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Let me share them with you. Oh, it went out. I'm not gonna share them with you. Maybe I won't share them with you. Well, fine, then be that way. Forget this guy. No. Thanks, Travis. Well, I'll just tell them to you, and then they'll be up there on the screen, the first two. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the mode. In that, only in Jesus is our very existence and participation with God made possible and accessible. It's only in Jesus that this can be made possible. It's only in Jesus that that you can have access to God. It's only through Him. He's the mode. How did he fulfill this? In his death on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension. Thanks, Travis. Jesus is the mode. Number two, Jesus is reality, truth, in that only through Jesus does our existence and participation of God have meaning. So first, only in Christ do we have access to God. He's the mode. And second, only in Jesus is there true reality. Why? Because he is the supreme, true, complete, ultimate revelation of the Father. Uh, John says this in John 1.18. He exegetes God. He explains him. So he does. It's Jesus. So he's the reality. One writer says this, quote, the lens through which the world is to be interpreted and by which it must be judged is Jesus. The only way that this world can make sense is when you have gospel glasses on. The only way this life will make sense is when you put on, you know, when you put on your glasses, you get new glasses, you put them on, like, oh my goodness, I can see so well. I can't believe I was wearing these other things. I couldn't see with these other things. You put those new glasses on from the eye doctor. Whoa, my goodness, everything brightens up, right? That's what people need. 
you need glasses, then you can really see life how it's supposed to be seen. Jesus is the reality. He's the mode, the way. He's reality, he's truth. Here's number th- third aspect. Jesus is the source, he's life in that. Only through Jesus does our existence and participation in God originate. He gives life, or he supplies us with life because he is life. Life in himself. Conquering death. So that which divides humanity, divides it from God, Jesus destroys. That which distorts humanity and brings confusion and falsehood, Jesus clarifies. That which defeats us, in the end, Jesus conquers. Way, truth, life. And notice what else he says. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other life. One must go through Jesus alone to come to the Father and only through Christ. Only in Jesus and by Jesus can you be saved. Again, wow. That's okay, I got a couple of things. Only in Jesus and only by Jesus can you be saved. If you're here, you don't know Jesus Christ, you have not trusted Jesus Christ, you must know this. Only in Jesus can you be saved. There's no other way. Somebody says, well, that's your interpretation. How is that a different interpretation? Interpret that differently. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said that. You must go through Christ. You must repent and trust Christ, else you will not be saved. You can have forgiveness and grace given to you today. If you trust Christ and believe in him, he will do that. It's only through Jesus. There are not many paths to God, that means this. There's not many paths to God. There's only one path to God. Christianity is not one of many other religions that lead to God. Christianity is the only one and only truth. This is what this means. It's going to be up there in the stream. Yes, there it is. This is what is called the exclusivity of the cross or the exclusivity of Christ. There's no other way. There's not many ways to God. Mormonism is not one way. Jehovah's Witnesses is not another way. Islam is not another way. Hinduism is not another way. Buddhism is another way. Sikh is not another way. Taoism is not another way. No, friends. There are no other ways. Jesus is the only way. You must repent and trust Christ else you will die in your sins. That's what Jesus says. A person cannot claim to know God while denying Jesus at the same time. How can a person deny the one who is the supreme revelation of God? It's impossible. It makes no sense. Now, Jesus continues. Look at verse 7. If you have known me, it'd be a better translation, you will know my Father also, future. So knowing the Father in the future is directly related to knowing Jesus now. So to know Jesus now is to know the Father in the future. To know Jesus now is to know the Father. That's because Jesus is the truth. The supreme, true, complete, ultimate revelation of the Father. 
He exegetes the Father. To know Jesus is to know the Father. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. And look what Jesus says in the next part of verse 7. From now on you know him and have seen him. God's revelation is declared ultimately in Jesus who is the Word made flesh, the God-man. They know him, the Father, and have seen him, the Father, because they know Jesus and have seen Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. His identity, who he is. See, here you see Jesus beginning to help the disciples understand what she's talked about this in the gospel in previous time, the functional unity between the Father and the Son or the mutual indwelling between the Father and the Son. Two distinct persons, but they're also one. And look what happens to Philip. What he says in verse eight. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Another way to put it, sufficient. It's sufficient for us. Show us the Father and we're good with that. Oh. Unfortunately, Philip, disassociated father, the Father from the Son. You didn't get it. Most people do. How do you relate to the Father personally? He misunderstood how to sufficiently experience the Father. How do you sufficiently experience the Father? It's in Jesus. Look at what Jesus says in verse 9. He kind of rebukes him in his answer, verse 9. Have I been so long with you and you've not come to know me, Philip? Philip, you mean to tell me you don't know? You should know me and should know who I exactly represent and who I reveal. It's the Father. Notice what he says. The one who sees me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Philip, how can you say that? If you see me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the supreme, true, complete, ultimate revelation and expression of God. God's final self-expression is Jesus. God could not reveal himself more. It's all in his son. Paul says this, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form in Jesus, the God-man. Philip, how can you say that? Look what he says, Jesus says in verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, of myself I do not speak. Here's the relational unity between the Father and the Son. Philip, this is sufficient for you. This is enough. It's who I am. This relational unity between the Father and the Son. And by the way, he did not mean different modes as in modalism, which is taught by some. T.D. Jakes is one of those who teaches modalism. That's a false teaching. That's rank heresy. Do not listen to him when he talks about modalism. Jesus takes different modes. The mode, God takes different modes. The mode of the Father, then the mode of the, of the Son, Jesus, and the mode of the Spirit. That's wrong. That's false rank heresy. There's a distinction between the two persons. That's clear. But there's also a, what one writer calls a functional overlap or commonality and unity. There's two distinct persons that function in unison perfectly, completely, and wholly. A mutual indwelling between the two. 
Notice Jesus says this about his works uh, and words. The words that I say to you, not from myself do I speak, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Both Jesus' words and works reflect the Father abiding in him. All that, oh wow. It's, it's on a roll today. I'll tell you what. Oh, there it is. Thanks. Really? Oh. Okay, well, all that Jesus is said and has done is an expression of the Father about the Father and by the Father. And the two proofs, his words and works. And the final work that Jesus does is the cross. He finalizes it. Look at verse 11. Believe into me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Trust me that there's a unified presence between the Father and me that our activity, our work is unified to. Submit to this truth. The Father and the Son have functional unity. They're one. Should I do this? Should I even try to do this? I don't know. We trust the identity of Jesus the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus for the words and works point to his identity as the son who is the ultimate self-expression of the father. And look at what Jesus says, the last part of verse 11. But if not, because of the works themselves believe. What works does Jesus mean here? These were the signs. Jesus' signs. Remember he did that? The different signs. The first one he he changed water into wine. But these signs, they pointed beyond simply the power of God. They pointed to the main focus. They would point to the identity and mission of the Son of God. It revealed who Jesus was. It's these works that make clear the Son is in the Father and the Father is in the Son. So we find comfort in trusting Jesus. We find comfort in the promise of fellowship. We find comfort in the cross and we find comfort. His identity is sufficient. Who he is is, is sufficient. Now, do I even try to do this? Well, I'll keep going. I'm in to uh, fulfill his commission. Find comfort, now fulfill his commission. Verses 12 through 14. Fulfill his commission. And the first aspect here is do God's work. Look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes into me, the works that I do, shall he also do. And greater than these shall he do because I go to the Father. So first authoritative statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, pay attention, pay attention, he says. The one who believes into me, the works that I do, he shall also do. So he's transitioning Jesus. He's transitioning from his works, the works of the Son of God, to the works of the children of God. We not only testify God's works in Jesus, we now participate in those works. Now this is an odd statement. Yeah, there you go. We'll see if this goes off. What does Jesus mean by this? This is verses that people rip out of the context constantly. What does he mean by this? The works I do, this one will also do, and greater works than these will he do. What does this mean? There's at least three views. 
First, all disciples will do the works like Jesus and greater works than Jesus. Notice the first part of the phrase, the one who believes into me. That includes everybody. It's talking about all Christians. So the one who believes in me, they'll do works like Jesus and greater works than Jesus. Believe denotes all those who follow Jesus. So it means, one view is, they will do signs like Jesus and they'll do even greater signs than Jesus. What's the problem? Not all Christians do that. Because it says all will do this. Not all of Jesus' disciples do this. And Jesus said the one who believes in him, they will do this. So it can't refer to all Christians in general because why don't all Christians do this? So we take that view and go, okay, not that one. What else could it refer to? Well, some think it refers to just the 11, the 11 disciples. This would mean it was fulfilled in the book of Acts. They did greater signs than Jesus, signs just like Jesus and greater than Jesus. Now this is possible. But again, Jesus said all those who believe into him not just the disciples, right? Okay, well, that doesn't work. So it means something else then. So if it refers to all disciples, which that's very clear, then it has to mean something else. And this is the view I take. Uh, maybe I don't take it. I still do. You just won't be able to see it. Just kind of spit on it, maybe it'll work then. <laughs> I'm scared. Trust Jesus. All are now part of God's work or mission. We participate in His power, in His mission, and the ministry through Christ. Remember, Jesus' signs were signposts, they pointed to His identity and mission. So all who believe, they participate in that mission by participating in the Father's ongoing ministry through Christ by the Spirit. How so? The church. The body of Christ. I'll put this up here before it goes away. So this means that the greater works is the church through whom the gospel spreads worldwide. God's primary work in the world right now is the local church and working through the local church. That's what Jesus means here in verse 12. And notice, he gives the uh, disclaimer, so to speak, the, the reason, I should say, verse 12, the end of verse 12, because I go to the Father. Greater works are done because he goes to the cross. Remember, going is the cross. That's the greatest work of Jesus. The greatest work of the Father is Jesus going to the cross and his exalting, being exalted, returning to the Father, of course. So the greatest work on earth of the Father done by the Spirit is the body of Christ, the church. That's what Jesus means here. So we are called to find our comfort in trusting Jesus, the promise of fellowship in the cross and his identity is sufficient and then Jesus turns around and he says now fulfill the commission get, get back on course and do God's work he says 
And the primary way that we participate in this work is prayer because the next point is ask for help. Ask for help. Do God's work or fulfill His commission. Do God's work. Ask for help. 13 and 14. You pray. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We are Jesus' representatives to do what he's already doing in this church with his, through his disciples by means of the Spirit. We, we submit to him and what he wants. And notice, it's in his name. It's not just a little thing we throw on the end of the prayer so it gets through heaven. It's not why we say, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen. Whew, I did that. Because if you don't say in the name of Jesus, it's no good, right? No, that's not why we say that. We say that because it's according to all for which his name stands. We're not independent of God. We're dependent upon God and his desires. And Jesus will do that so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So he's glorified. So we pray for that which befits God's mission and God's character. His mission because we do the works of God, his character because we ask in Jesus' name. We trust his authority. We trust his sovereignty. We trust his will. We don't trust merely in his resources. We trust in his results. One writer says this, we seek from God but we also surrender to God. That's prayer. We express desires, realizing he holds the results. And notice what Jesus says in verse 14. If you ask me anything in my name, all that my name stands for, I will do. It's to guarantee our works which are done in the name of Jesus according to his will. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' will, in Jesus' authority, it's done. That's how sure we are that God will answer the first work of us as Jesus' followers as we do his work. Again, we seek from God what we surrender to God. As his church, we, we do God's work asking for his help. That's the only way. We depend upon God. We place ourselves under God asking him, we, in Jesus' name, we want to fulfill this commission you've given to us. We pray. The dwelling place of the Father and the Son, the very home, is being prepared for us as the children of God only for those who trust the Son of God. And it's there where we'll be with God forever. He makes that way by the cross. His identity is sufficient. God is our true home. And as we wait for that time, we're commissioned by God to continue the work of God. Put it a different way. Can I put it in a different way? Are you going to let me put it in a different way? You don't want me to put me in a different, you don't want to put, let, let me put it in a different way, do you? Please, Travis. I'll buy you a Starbucks. Please. Please. <laughs> it's not wanting to? Oh, look it. There it is. We continue the work of the Son of God as the children of God 
who speak the word of God and the power of the spirit of God so that more people will become children of God. You see that? We continue the work of God, the work of the Son of God, as the children of God, who speak the word of God and the power of the Spirit of God so that more people will become children of God. That's what Jesus means here in verses 12, 13, and 14. When fear comes, he calls us to find comfort in trusting him, the promise of fellowship, and the cross, and in his sufficient identity, and he commissions us to fulfill God's word. When fear and doubt sets in, Jesus comforts and commissions us. We better quit now before this thing keeps acting up, okay? I'm going to pray because we need to pray, right? Thank you. Thank you so much, Father. You're good to us and you're faithful. Thank you that Jesus' identity is sufficient. It is. Thank you that we can trust Him when fear comes. And his identity, it's sufficient. And the promise of fellowship with you in the cross. And then as a church, give us your grace to fulfill this mission, this commission, to do your work, and yet we need your help. So even now, as we are considering this challenge in 2023, the one to five people that we're gonna speak the gospel to them and invite them to church service, We are praying in your name, in your authority, in your will that you will bring this about and we will continue this work, the work of the Son, the work of the Son of God as we speak the word of God. May we do it in the power of the Spirit of God. At this time, I want to encourage you, take a few moments, moments of silence, Pray for those people that you're in the challenge. You pray for them. Uh, take this time to reflect through your notes or read the passage again. But let this be a, a sweet time between you and the Lord. And, and we're, we'll sing a couple songs, if it'll be up on the screen. We'll sing a couple songs and, and we'll pray. But take these few moments. It's, it's like, what, less than a minute where you can just ponder and fill your mind with truth. Would you do that now?